If you're an executive, entrepreneur, seasoned investor, or just a student of the game, you'll love The Great Fail, Adweek's Entrepreneurship Podcast of the Year, a show that artfully uncovers some of the biggest fails in business history and how it might have been prevented. The Great Fail is entertaining, informative, and told through a true crime narrative in under 30 minutes that keeps you at the edge of your seats. So check out The Great Fail wherever you get your podcast. It can be easy to take the sound around us for granted. Movies capture us in the action and are usually perfectly mixed. Our nightly meditation apps lull us into a place of peace and zen, and our podcasts delight, thrill, and educate us while being pleasant and clear to listen to. And when things go wrong, they really are noticeable. In today's episode of On the Mic, our editor, Freddie Trejo, joins me as we discuss the importance of sound quality and the steps you can take to improve your listeners' experience through your surroundings and equipment setup. So let's get started. That's the great thing about Stamps.com. They grow with you. As much fun as I had, I couldn't wait to get back to my sleep number bed. Yep. I love my third love bras. They're hands down the most comfortable bras I've ever owned. I love making Blue Apron. I love it. It's my me time. Well, Freddie, thank you for joining us uh, in front of the mic this time. I know that uh, you spend a lot of time in the studio with Nathan and myself and our guests, but um, this is your your first foray on the actual mic. Yeah, I'm actually in front of it, I guess. It's yeah. really, uh, <laughs> it's a very different feeling. Usually I'm here sitting in this dark room by myself, editing your voices, and now I have to do it for my voice, so I'm gonna hate that process. <laughs> <laughs> well, why don't you start off by telling our listeners a little bit about yourself? So I have been in the world of music for a long time. Uh, when I was in high school, I was in orchestra, I was in a band, and I did a lot of my own recordings, and I tried to make it big like most people do. But out of that whole experience, I learned that I really love editing, and I really love creating things, even helping people create things. I put in more effort of creating films, recording people for tryouts, anything like that. So mixing, editing became more of like a, you know, a passion for me. Nice. It's funny where we find the things that we like. You're not the only person I've also experienced kind of jumping into one thing, expecting that to be like my main focus, my passion. You know, acting was one of them. And then transitioning into directing, I just learned through that whole process that I really enjoy being behind the scenes a little more. Yeah, there's, there's something about... Um, being behind the scenes where you create things and yeah maybe a lot of people won't see it but you know that you you can sit there and like I did that I helped make that it might not be up in front of everyone but without me it would probably wouldn't have you know been possible and it's it's a really cool feeling to have one of the things that I really love about audio editing and creating is that I get to sit here and listen to you guys through these headphones and, and it's so great but what do you think is the most important thing when we're recording do you think that the quality is important Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Quality of sound is super important. I think it's something that a lot of people take for granted. You don't realize, you know, when you jump in and or I didn't the the work that goes into it and the consideration that needs to go into your surroundings. You know, some things that people don't think about are like background noise, uh, microphone quality and of course, editing. You really want your listeners to be able to enjoy your podcast content or your storytelling or your radio show or whatever it is that you're working on free from that distraction that could pull them out of the overall experience. So there are certain things to keep 
in mind when setting up your own kind of recording space? And I, I think the first place to kind of start is with your surroundings. So a lot of people don't realize how sensitive most microphones can be, and they can pick up basically any background noise. Stuff that you don't pay attention to. Absolutely. You forget that your air conditioner is running or that your children are playing outside or cars running by or dogs barking. These are all background noises that we just kind of become accustomed to in our daily lives. But if you are recording, say, in a home studio, mini mics will pick that up. As I tried to illustrate in uh, the previous episode by showing the different kinds of mics that I've used in the past, I once actually had to re-record an entire story that I had narrated for the Whispers in the Night podcast because my dog had walked across my hardwood floors oh, no. right outside my bedroom door. I didn't think about it because I was used to the tip tapping of their toenails, but my mic picked up everything. So I lost 30 minutes worth of content that I had to go back and re-record. I totally can relate to that because there'll be times I'll be sitting here editing or I'll be editing something. I'll sit there and I'm like, oh, this is really, that, what is that noise in the background? And you mm -hmm. listen, you're like, that's a, that's a fly that landed on the mic. Why, what? It's small yeah. things that you just don't notice. And sometimes it just passes by and you're like, oh, cool. That was a truck. Didn't realize that until now. And now you're back again, re-recording what may have been a perfect take. Mm -hmm. <laughs> So kind of keeping your surroundings in mind uh, is very important. It's a really great place to start. I'm not saying don't set up a home studio. I really think that they're great for the beginner and even more seasoned podcasters. You just need to be able to approach it thoughtfully. Obviously, recording studios are ideal for most recording situations. They've been soundproofed and equipped with dampening panels um, to reduce and dampen reverb, which... If you don't know, reverb occurs when a sound hits a hard surface and is reflected back to the listener. For many podcasters just starting out, recording in a studio may not be the most practical or cost-effective solution, but there are elements in your own home studio that you can control. So things like carpet, that can dampen reverb. It can also dampen um, other sounds as well. Like I mentioned, dogs walking by on hardwood floors. <laughs> So if you are recording in home, consider moving into a small carpeted area such as a closet. I know that that sounds a little goofy, but the more enclosed the area is, the more dampening you'll experience with your sound. So a closet really is ideal. And it has all those clothes that will absorb the sound too, so you won't have this reverb like you were talking about earlier. Exactly, yes. off the walls. Yes. That makes sense. The clothes hanging in your closet can also help as a dampening yep. agent. It's, it's always one of those funny things you see in shows or movies where the guy will be inside his closet recording something. He's like, this is my recording studio. He's like, that's a closet. Yep. I mean, it works. <laughs> it, it absolutely works in a pinch. So just kind of keeping that in mind, you want to be sure to avoid areas with high vaulted ceilings, wood or tile floors, all of that big open space and hard surfaces that can bounce sound back to you. Now, if you are deciding to record, you know, in a bedroom or maybe in a living room, you can consider adding blackout curtains to your windows that will help not only dampen your reverb inside, but will hopefully dampen some of that outside sound that could be affecting your recordings. And that makes sense since they're, they're black ink horns, they're a little more 
They're a little thicker. thicker yeah. So it absorbs more. That's smart. And if you don't have carpet, area rugs and being sure that you add carpet padding under those rugs can help a lot as well. You can also add upholstered furniture to your recording area. So a couch or a large chair and those will help catch those extra sounds. Also throw pillows. So, and beanbags. So you're telling me refurnish my whole house to make it into a studio? Yes. Perfect. Absolutely. Go shopping. <laughs> pick up a new couch. The more plush, the better. Just write it off as an expense. Yeah, this is for my studio. This nice <laughs> couch and these throw pillows for my studio. So those are some of the steps that you can take to utilize the items in your home to create an area that is more conducive to recording. If you are at the level where you're ready to kind of up your game, you can buy acoustic panels or egg crates. A lot of these are available on Amazon. When I first started out, I actually Googled cheap sound dampening and I found several options for as little as $20. So it's not super expensive to get it going, but hanging them on the walls can cause some damage. So, you know, it's just something to kind of keep in mind. You can also purchase larger acoustic panels, but that option does get pretty expensive and they're often sold individually so you may look mm. at the prices and upfront think like oh yeah this is totally cost effective but as you add more and more to your cart it really does add up um, here at ad results we actually equipped our studio with sound dampening panels that i purchased in a room kit but that did run me about eight hundred dollars that's once again, probably not the most cost-effective option for folks who are just starting out or, you know, people who this is just kind of something that they do on the side. Right. Um, if it is an investment that you're interested in, I can guarantee you that it makes a world of difference. It really does. So recently when we interviewed Andrea Schwartzbach and Marshall Williams here in the studio, I did a video recording of that interview and I was able to pull the audio directly off of my DSLR camera and it sounded just about as good as the audio that we c captured from our, our live mics. I, I was shocked and, and I know that a lot of that has to do with the fact that we have put in the sound dampening and soundproofing uh, panels here in the studio. Now, as I mentioned just a moment ago, if you don't want to affix panels to your walls due to the, you know, any potential damage or maybe you're strapped for space, you can actually buy isolation shields for your microphone. Those, once again, you can find on Amazon or you can actually get them at Guitar Center as well. And I've seen them for as low as $30. What isolation shields do is they wrap around your microphone and they create a smaller sound dampening area right. that you can just speak directly into. And, and that way you're not having to basically rearrange your entire room or your closet. Now, you mentioned earlier about when we recorded Marshall and Andrea mm -hmm. for their interview, you heard the DSLR audio. So you're saying I can use my DSLR to record my podcast or should I, I... go and buy myself a new mic? <laughs> I wouldn't. Okay. Um, I think that the microphone on your camera could produce decent secondary audio. Mm-hmm as a backup if you needed it for anything, especially if you are running video in tandem with your podcast, but I don't necessarily recommend it. You know, everybody's situation is a little bit different, so they need to keep that in mind when deciding what type of mics they wanna buy. There are a couple of things to consider when thinking about 
what mic is appropriate for your situation. Just to kind of start off, different types of mics have different polarities, right? Mm -hmm. So they record differently. And there are three main types, which are cardioid, omni, and figure eight. So a cardioid mic is a unidirectional mic, and you can think of it as a, like a fan. Right. And from the front of your mic, it's going to pick up whatever sound falls in that fan's space. Mm -hmm. So everything directly in front of it will be picked up. But if you're speaking behind the mic or even to the sides, that sound is going to be missed. Now, if you're looking for something tighter, you can get a super cardioid mic, which has a tighter fan area. Right. It's more narrow. Yes. Gotcha. Yes. So if you are maybe recording in a bedroom or a small apartment where you do have a lot of surrounding sounds, such as neighbors upstairs, neighbors on either side of you, cars driving by, a super cardioid mic might be better for your situation. Um, I also mentioned the omnidirectional. So for those, imagine a globe okay. surrounding your mic and whatever sound f falls into that globe will be recorded. So that's good if you're in a group setting. Um, maybe you're interviewing multiple people that need to sit around the mic and record, or you're just jamming with okay. friends. Yes, I, I know that one. So, <laughs> yeah. so the idea is having that, uh, that omnidirectional mic is to be, hey, it could also be pretty good for people who are on a budget and say, we're just going to buy one mic. Exactly, yeah. Right. So if you have multiple hosts, maybe, and you are just starting out and you are on a budget, omnidirectional is probably the way that you would want to go. Awesome. And then the last type is your figure eight or your bi-directional mic. And, and that one really operates exactly as it sounds. So imagine your, your mic head is the center of your figure eight. So everything that is presented in front of and behind the mic will be recorded and captured, but anything on the sides will be lost. So once again, for your interviews, you can have one person on either side. It's a good one-to-one -one interview mic. Or if you just have two hosts that will be recording in the same room together, that's another option for, for those two. So that's just the tip of the iceberg as far as the types of mics. There are also three major categories to keep in mind when choosing your mic. And the one that most people are going to be familiar with is your dynamic microphone. As right. a musician, I'm sure yep. you have lots of experience with those. My dynamic mic that I use all the time is my hairbrush. It's this, the iconic one, right, that every singer uses. Yes, every every singer that you see on stage is most likely using that dynamic microphone you've got your kind of black rounded head and usually like a silver mm -hmm. cylindrical body sometimes black you know depending on the brand but everyone has seen a dynamic mic at some point in their life now these are incredibly popular they're very durable 
so they're ideal for live performances. They can take a beating. Um, they're also not quite as sensitive as the other two categories that we'll go into. So they're great at handling loud noises. They are ideal for snare drums. If you are needing to record any kind of foley, they could be very useful in that situation. Also because of their insensitivity, they're very versatile and can be used in various studio situations. Now the majority of dynamic mics that you come across are omnidirectional. So they're perfect for home studios. You can point the mic away from the areas of your room with the most reverb so you're able to better compensate for having to record in a living room or a bedroom closet. So they're ideal for that, but not so ideal for interviews or podcasters who may be on a budget and have multiple hosts and might need to record just using one mic. For that, you would probably want to consider a condenser mic. Unfortunately, they are a little more fragile than dynamics and therefore more expensive, but they're perfect for studio use. They're also great for picking up softer sounds such as speaking voices due to their sensitivity. So while condensers can't be used on as many sound sources, once again, due to their sensitivity, not a great option if you're you know, going to place it in front of like a snare drum or a drum kit. You might just damage the mic. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Whatever sound they do pick up actually sounds less muffled than they would if you were using a dynamic mic. It, it, it creates a much more clear and robust sound. Also, the great thing about condenser mics is that many of them have the option to change their pattern type between unidirectional, bidirectional, or figure eight, and your omnidirectional. So while they might be a little more expensive up front, most podcasters would probably find that it is the better option for them, especially if they are doing interviews or having guests or have more than one host and they really do need something that they can just all use all at once. That condenser mic is great because you can just flip-flop between the uh, recording patterns. So this third category of microphone is one that I've never personally used, but you might have. All right. Which Are one you is it? familiar with ribbon mics? Are those the mics that Elvis used to use when he was younger? I was, I was thinking Elvis, mm -hmm. 100%. Yep. Yes. Oh, yes. man. Those are... Every gig, Iconic. You, you want that one. You're like, I want that one. I want to look cool. That's the one I want to sing at. Even if our listeners have never personally encountered a ribbon mic, they will absolutely be familiar with them if they have ever watched a live performance by Elvis or, or really any performer from the 50s or 60s. It is a very iconic style, and it's very expensive. Yes. That I can attest to. They are very expensive. <laughs> they are normally bi-directional mics. They're incredibly sensitive. And honestly, unless you're looking for a very specific type of retro sound, I really wouldn't concern myself too much with, with trying to acquire one. They're very good for uh, string recordings, mm -hmm. especially for like orchestras or violin pieces or even, you know, very soft like harp or piano pieces. Right. And as I mentioned, they, they create a very specific vintage sound. Most podcasters aren't looking for that. But if you're going for like an old style like radio play, it could be something to to think about, but nine times out of ten, you're really not going. You're you're not going to need one. Yeah, those mics are for a very specific niche of of people who want that. Yes, right. absolutely. 
Okay, so we've talked about all these mics, but which one do you use, do you personally use? Because I know in the last episode you talked about how you did uh, voiceovers <laughs> and were yes. part of um, podcasts as well. Yes. So in my spare time, I do uh, do theater as well as voiceover acting. Personally, I'm a big fan of any of the Shure mics. The SM7B is actually a staple for most studios, and it is the type of mic that we use here at Ad Results. I highly recommend them. However, they can be pricier. If you are looking to start off in the podcasting business, I would honestly consider starting off with a Blue Yeti. It is a condenser mic, and it is USB. Very simple setup. Plug in, go. And you can usually snag them for under $150. Amazon puts them on sale all the time i've seen them for as low as like 85. now not only does its usb option offer you the ability to just plug and go you can switch between uni omni and bi-directional recording patterns which for the price i i think is absolutely the way to go now there are a few more essentials that i would consider i know that we've spent a good portion of time talking about your surroundings and your microphones but your sound doesn't just stop there don't skimp on your pop filters. You don't realize how important they are until you listen to your first recording. So uh, for our listeners who don't know, pop filters are created from a mesh-like material and they fit in front of your microphone and they're created to capture your hard consonants. So your P's, your K's, your T's, anything that creates that kind of harsh puff of sound towards a microphone. Now, if you are choosing to use a dynamic microphone, you could probably get away with not using a pop filter due to their insensitivity. Right. But honestly, you really can't go wrong with having one, no matter what type of mic you choose. After pop filters, Freddie, you're probably more familiar with this than I am, but quality cabling. Yes. You want to have a cable that is good. To say, if you get a cheapy cable, yeah, it works maybe for the first day, maybe the second day but you're probably going to have some interference because some cables that are in the cheaper end won't be wired correctly. Exactly. Right. They can produce their own sound. Uh, Popping and hissing is pretty commonplace with your cheaper cables. Also, you're just going to have to replace them more often. Last but certainly not least, and possibly what I consider to be the most important piece of equipment that you can invest in. Okay, here we go. Headphones. Really, headphones. And I know that that sounds funny, and I know that a lot of people will kind of question my judgment on this one, but but hear me out. How many people have you met who have recorded themselves and have listened to a recording of themselves? How many have come away from that saying, oh, yeah, that's totally what I sound like? (laughs) No one. No one. Everyone comes back, and their immediate response is, I don't sound like that. That's very. I mean, I've said that multiple times. You have. I have. Nathan has. But the thing is, you do sound like that. And what the headphones do is they give you a very clear, unadulterated version of your voice. It is what you hear from me as we stand on opposite sides of this table recording this episode. So what you're hearing on the daily as you talk to others is you hear your voice through your cheekbones and through your sinuses. So your voice is altered slightly due to whatever's going on inside your head, basically. You know, if you have allergies, if you're not feeling very well, your voice is being affected as it travels through your sinuses, your cheekbones, 
and into your ears. Mm -hmm. So naturally you will sound different to yourself than you sound to those around you. So headphones are very important. Also, your brain is really great at self-regulating down to the millisecond. So as you are recording and as you're listening to yourself record, your brain will course correct whenever it hears anything kind of funky. So maybe a funny pronunciation of a word or your P's and your K's are maybe coming out a little too hard. You're able to course correct because your brain is hearing that outside of just you speaking the words. It's taking in the information and it's fixing it down to the millisecond. Honestly, self-regulation could save your podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe for updates on future episodes and leave us a comment with your feedback, questions, or ideas for future segments. Please join us next time as we discuss the second element to producing quality sound by focusing on tone and direction. If you would like more info on AdResults Media and what we do, please visit our website at adresultsmedia.com. This podcast was written by Lindsay Boyd with sound mixing and editing by Freddie Trejo. This podcast is an AdResults Media production. If you expect your media investment to deliver clear, measurable results, Walmart Connect can help you get there with powerful analytics and the reach of America's number one retailer. Their closed-loop measurement uses Walmart's proprietary customer purchase data to track the impact of your campaigns on sales, not just on Walmart's site and app, but also in-store. For some campaigns, they can even provide rest-of-market data that tracks the impact on sales at other retailers. Visit walmartconnect.com today and see how they can help make your media spend meaningful. Walmart Connect. More than media? meaningful connections.